Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, my friends, I'm so excited to tell you that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. You can go and do that now. The link will be in the show notes below. I would greatly appreciate each and every one of you if you could go and pre-order a copy right now. The book will be officially launched September 27th of this year, but you can go and pre-order a copy of the book right now, and I hope that you all consider doing that. All right. Let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Are you someone that struggles to manage their time really, really well and you need to know more insights and tricks into better managing your time? Well, this is a conversation for you, my friends, because I have the incredible Laura Vanderkam on the show. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, Laura helps people spend more time on what matters and less on what doesn't. Laura is the author of several time management and productivity books, Off the Clock being one of them, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done, which explores through more than 900 time diaries collected on a single March day, believe it or not, why some people feel relaxed about time while others do not. How many of you can fall into that bracket? I know How She Does It is another book of hers, How Successful Women Make the Most of Their Time, which tackles the question of how women combine work and life through an, anal- an analysis of 1,001 days in the lives of women with demanding careers and children at home. I'm pretty sure a lot of us would know how mums do it. Uh, there are how, how women do it, more or less. They are pretty incredible, uh, if I do say so myself. What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast is another book of Laura's which profiles prominent people who use time creatively creatively to achieve their goals. 168 hours, you have more time than you think. We all have 168 hours in the week and how you decide to use those 168, 168 hours is all dependent on you and your choices. But the book argues that time is best approached from the holistic perspective of a week rather than any single day. Laura has also published other books as well, which you can go and check them out. I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes below for you. She has appeared in many different publications, but today is really going to be, I think, a masterclass in learning how to manage your time more effectively, productivity, why some people procrastinate more than others, and is procrastination totally a bad thing? We do discuss that during our conversation. But if you do get something from this conversation, my friends, and I have no doubt that you will, then please share this one around, make it go absolutely crazy because I think a lot of us want to learn how we can better manage our time more and more efficiently, that is, and so that we can be more productive. 
Before you go, don't forget to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a huge way in getting the show out into more listeners' ears so they can benefit from the incredible wisdom and the advice of all the wonderful guests that do end up coming on the show. I also want to let you all know, if you didn't hear in the very beginning, that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-orders. Links will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to learn how we can all become better at time management as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Laura Vanderkam. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to have you here. Thank you for making the time out of your very busy schedule, I have no doubt, because you've got five kids. I don't know how you do it because uh, I'm st- I'm still single. No like commitment to a partner yet <laughs> and you are you're still like uh, yeah i don't know how you do it <laughs> but maybe well, today i find out how you do it <laughs> i guess so. I yeah, well you know we all have 24 hours of a day and it's just what we choose to do with them um so i i enjoy having lots of young people in my life um so i'm really having a fun time with my kids i love talking about time management. I love um, teaching people how to enjoy their lives more. So it's really all good stuff. Um, So, you know, I just do my best to fit it all in. I want to dive further into that in just a moment and unbox more about it because I'm very interested in that. But before we do, my very first question for you is a question that I love asking all my guests at the very start. And I'm very curious to hear your answer to this one, but what do you think or what does success look like for you? Well, so pretty much what I just said. <laughs> um, it's about enjoying uh, and finding meaningful um, all the parts of your life. And so that means to me, uh, having a career that I feel like I am making a difference in, and that makes me excited to do work on any given day, that I want to put more hours into it. Um, it also means having a happy family where, you know, all is not perfect by any means. I feel like some days I'm playing uh, that game whack-a-mole. Those of you who've been to arcades where that's a a game, I'm playing whack-a-mole with kid issues. (laughs) However, um, we do all love each other and have a great time together. And so I draw a lot of energy from that as well. Um, And then also enjoying other aspects of your life, um, making time for friends, for hobbies, for one's physical health. Um, And when you can do all of that, I think that's what success looks like. Why is that success for you? And when was the moment that you realized that that in fact was success? Has it been this gradual thing over the course of your life or was there more of a catalyst moment somewhere for you? I don't know. I think I've always viewed that um, success is is not a single thing, right? It's, it's not just um, having a wonderful personal life, but you, you know, hate your job. Um, it's also not, you know, killing it at work and and being sad and lonely. I mean, that just doesn't really work either. Um, It it seems to me that, um, you know, there is enough time for both. And I've always hoped that I would have um, both aspects in my life uh, and be able to spend my time on um, things I loved in, in all spheres of life. So you mentioned before that we've all got 24 hours in the day probably seven, maybe six of those hours for people are spent sleeping. And it kind of feels like in a way that sleeping is technically a time wasting, like, cause most people go to bed really, really late so they can catch up on, on certain things. I myself go to bed really early cause I get up early and that just works for me. But why, why do you, in the first place, what got you interested in time management and and learning and teaching this uh, pretty important topic? Well, it it is that fact that we all have 24 hours in a day. Um, It is this absolutely limiting principle and it is so equal as well. Um, I mean, plenty of people might be smarter than the rest of us. There are people who are richer than the rest of us who are better looking than the rest of us, but none of them have more time. So we all have the same basic building blocks to work with. Um, And whatever we do with our lives is going to be a function of how we spend our hours. And I just find that topic so fascinating um, that it's, that it's as much math as it is anything else. Um, You know, these are 
you know, this is what can fit in a day and this is how we can move things around to have, you know, this amount of stuff fit in a week. Um, and, and that, you know, you can press on different levers. I mean, obviously some people can, you know, ask for help with uh, things for various people. You can, um, you know, move time around, make use of different unorthodox hours for things. Um, sometimes things can be delegated, but we're still all working with the same basic quantity of time. Um, and so it provides just an accountability that nothing else does. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by money too, and there are parallels between them, but, but money is different. People have different amounts of money. You could, you know, save up money from decades ago and use it now. Whereas you can't have, you know, had a great week in 2005 and have saved 20 hours from that and now cash that in with interest in 2022. Like it just mm -hmm. doesn't work like that. It's as if all your money was burned in front of you at the end of every day. And, and so um, because of that, um, we, we just have to work with the time that is in front of us now. And of course there are choices we can make uh, in the past that influence how we spend our time now. There are choices we can make now that will influence how we spend our time in the future. But mm -hmm. there is that, that limiting factor and that accountability um, that just makes time absolutely fascinating. So you can't have a time bank <laughs> and, and save. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I, I have explored this topic of like, what would a time emergency fund look like? And mm. if people are wealthy in terms of time, what does that actually mean? And there are ways that you can bank time. I mean, not explicitly as in, okay, I had a good week in 2005. Here I am cashing it in with interest. <laughs> but if you leave open space, in your life, for instance, that provides a certain amount of slack. So that if, let's say, Friday is open, you have left Friday open, Monday, things go horribly awry, and everything is taking twice as long as it should, well, where do you put the spillover? Well, now you've got time on Friday where those things can go. And so you still stay on track. You're not borrowing time from the future, you know, which will have crises of its own. So you're not taking out a time loan from future you, um, you are staying current uh, at the moment. Um, you know, time can be banked in other people. Um, if you do favors for friends, family, colleagues, those are people who will help you out um, when you are in a pinch. So if you've got a day where, you know, it, it happens all the time that, you know, you absolutely can't pick up your kids at something because it's such a crazy day. Well, guess what? The neighbor whose kids you picked up last week is totally on it, right? So, so you can bank time in, in other people as well. Um, but, you know, it's not as straightforward as, as simply saving money in the bank. Do you believe that in today's day and age, it is getting more and more fast paced that people are becoming more time poor or they're becoming more time rich, you think? interesting question because people have always felt busy uh and, and you know if you read literature from i don't know you know any decade of the 20th century and and on people will be talking about just how busy they are um i collect magazines from say the 1950s and 60s like historic magazines because it tells you about what life was like in the moment so, like people weren't writing for posterity they were writing for this month like what mm. what do our readers want to know about in february well okay this is what we're talking about and you know the the magazines aimed at businessmen there was this uh, article i remember from like the 1960s when you know uh, marginal tax rates were like higher in the us and they were being pondering people cutting them it's like well the idea is maybe people will work more if they you know have lower tax rates and every executive they interviewed was like, I can't possibly imagine working more than I do now, right? Like it's just nobody, it was always busy. Um, some of the magazines aimed at like 1950s housewives would talk about like how busy your schedule was with, you know, all these things that had to get done during the day. And of course, you know, those of us who are managing households and paid jobs at the same time, look at that and like, really? <laughs> like what well, that was busy? But the truth is, People are not, in fact, doing more with their time now uh, than they were in the past. Work hours, by some measures, have declined over the past two generations. Um, that's not something anyone seems to believe, but because uh, we love to talk about how overworked everyone is. But uh, if you look at historic time diaries, um, that does seem to be the case that work hours have declined uh, for the population as a whole. Um, 
the amount of sleep people are getting has actually risen by a statistically significant amount over the Mm. past um, two decades or so, which would seem to suggest that people are not, you know, so starved for time that we are giving up sleep um, with all the things we have to do. I think what does happen is that the more choices you have about how to spend your time, the more you have the fear that you might be choosing wrong. And it is that sense of potentially choosing wrong that tends to make people feel like time is more scarce. Um, There's just more stress about it when you feel like a choice might be wrong. Now, if you have very limited choices on what to do with your time, it's it's hard to feel stressed about it because, you know, there aren't many choices. Um, if everything under the sun is an option, uh, then it is a source of, of more stress. And, and curiously enough, when people feel that way, they tend to gravitate toward choices that do not feel so much like choices. Mm-hmm. So if I pick up my phone and I go to Instagram, let's say, that doesn't feel so much like I have made a choice. I could be in my email like two seconds later if I wished. You know, I could be doing anything. I could, you know, I, I have not made a choice by being there. Whereas, you know, going to practice the piano for an hour somewhere, well, that feels like a definite choice. Um, and so people are more reluctant to make such choices with their downtime. Um, and, and as a result, um, their their downtime feels more more tenuous and and like it's not there. Where do you think this I guess mindset towards lack of time on being time poor has kind of come from? Has it sort of been adopted into the the school system uh, from our parents? Where do you think that it's sort of originated? Because if it originates there, then maybe we might be able to make a shift and help people change. Partly just um, cultural capital. I mean, people like to talk about how busy they are because having, <laughs> you know, being busy means there's a lot of demand for your time, yeah. which is a nice way of saying how important you are. Um, like we would never go around talking about, well, I'm really, really important. Everybody needs me, <laughs> right? But but talking about how busy you are is, is kind of a nice way to, to do that, to show that the demand for your time is high. Um, you know, there are people who are, you know, more time constrained than others. Uh, Many of the people who come to my literature are working parents, right? Mm -hmm. Who are people working full-time jobs who also have young children at home. Now that demographic does have some leisure time. However, it tends to be less than people who do not have that level of responsibilities. And so we tend not to look at the amount we have and say, I have some, but not as much as I want. It's more tempting to compare your amount to say, you know, the colleague who, who doesn't seem to be working as hard and who, you know, is, doesn't have a family or whatever and say, I have none whatsoever compared to that person. Um, and, and so that's another way this, this comes into play. Um, so I'm always encouraging people to, to not have the um, mindset that I have, I have no free time whatsoever. We should have the mindset that I have some, it may not be as much as I want, but I have some, which I can make good choices with, and I can figure out ways to scale it up over time. Let me come back to the free time in just a moment, but it's, it's interesting because in conversations that you have with people, they ask you, how was your week? What did you get up to? That sort of thing. And you kind of almost naturally try and pick all the busiest things you've done. So you sound like the week wasn't a waste of time. (laughs) So I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's kind of like this cultural thing that we, we do to sound important. Like we, we aren't lazy in, in that respect. And that interests me. Like, can we change that at all? Is that like a habit that we've got to fix? (laughs) Yeah. To me, because I I study time logs. Like I have people track their time for a week. And often, you know, people who theoretically have like a lot going on, there's still like big chunks of time that are, you know, they can't account for. They're just, you know, hours of screen time on the weekends. And again, it's not that they don't have a lot going on. It's just that that what's going on does not actually fill all 168 hours. And if I'm telling you this in a storytelling narrative format, I'm like, oh, it was a busy week because I did X, Y, and Z, right? Like that is a story. 
like here is a thesis plus three points of evidence. But you know, you can find evidence of anything and be like, I, you know, it was a week full of downtime. I, you know, was on Twitter for like four <laughs> hours the other night and, uh, you know, sat around for half of Saturday morning, unsure what to do with myself. I mean, you know, like you could do that. Like you could tell that story, but we, we tend not to. So how do we get more free time in our life? Do we need to time log as you just described or how do we get more free time in our lives? Is that even possible with, for some people? I think for many people, it's, it's not so much about having more free time. It's about either recognizing where it happens or where it could happen and making choices within it that feel like leisure time, like that feel restorative and rejuvenative instead of feeling like it wasn't a choice, like it just happened to you. Um, so I'm, I'm on somewhat of a mission to get busy people to try out hobbies. <laughs> like, you know, I can sound like a broken record at times, but I'm always encouraging, you know, even people in like the, the busiest states of life, you know, people who have full-time jobs, young families, try to have one night where you do neither of those things. And, and if you have a co-parent, you can trade off with that person. So each of you gets one night where you do stuff that is neither of those things. Um, some hobby that is that is for you um, that you enjoy. I sing in a choir. Um, that's that's a good one. Um, you know, people could you know, be in a theater troupe. They could play in a softball league. They could um, get together with a regular group of friends for for drinks or dinner or for a walk or whatever it is you might want to do. But having something on a certain night every week that you can count on that is not your work and is not your family um, can change your entire perception of how much free time you actually have um, because it is an obvious thing like yes I did something other than work and family look it's there it's every Tuesday night or whatever it is um, I am also on a mission to get people to do a few minutes of what I call effortful fun before they do effortless fun mm. and so effortful fun is again those hobbies that were you know so art creative stuff musical instruments um crafting, woodworking, gardening, uh, puzzles, reading even, all of that is the effortful stuff. The effortless stuff is the screens. And so challenge yourself to when you start to go into the screen time, like you're, you know, picking up the phone to go to social media or scrolling around the web, or you're turning on the TV, do just like five minutes or even just two, if it's a small bit of time of something effortful first. Mm. And it will, again, completely change your experience of your leisure time um, because you will notice it is happening. Like when you go and do a thousand piece puzzle, like after your kids go to bed, um, you know, it's hard to say I'm not, I have no free time because like, you're obviously doing a puzzle. Whereas people can tell themselves they have no free time when they spend that entire evening, you know, scrolling around online. If someone says to you, Laura, I don't have any time whatsoever. I am too busy for any of this, I have a full-time job. I've got kids at home. I've got you name it going on. I'm overly stressed. What would you normally say to that person? Well, the first thing I would do is to have them track their time for a week um, because it, it's just eye-opening in general um, to see where the time really goes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that the person may be wasting time. I mean, that's such a subjective thing. But what I think could be happening is they may be devoting hours to things that it turns out they don't really care about. And if that is the case, it's good to see it. Like it's good to see the numbers because then you might be able to say, wait, well, I don't think that's the best use of my time. Um, maybe I could work to get that down. Um, you know, I'm not saying you can get rid of stuff overnight, but could I trim a few hours of it per week over the next six months? Well, that might be a doable goal. And suddenly we have some time that can be redeployed to other things. Um, or often, you know, it's even better to approach it from the other angle. Say, well, what are the things I would like to do with my time? So not that I have no free time whatsoever, but if you did, let's, let's just say it were to occur. What would you want to do with that time? And then challenge yourself to, can you find 30 minutes for that mm -hmm. over the next week? All right, let's see if we can do that. If we can do that, could you find 60 minutes for it over the next week. And it doesn't have to be much. Like, I mean, if you find 
two to three hours over the course of the entire 168 hours in a week for something that you find really meaningful and enjoyable that's for you that feeds your soul you again it can change your entire perception of time it, it doesn't have to be all 24 hours a day like even 30 minutes a day can go a long ways what constitutes wasted time you said that it's a more or less a subjective thing but in your opinion what would constitute as being this is a waste of someone's valuable time well if it is something that is not meaningful or enjoyable for you or the people you care about so i mean there there are all sorts of things that fit into that category that look productive i mean there are a great many work meetings for instance um, that were neither meaningful or enjoyable for you or the people you care about. Um, mm. And if that is the case, I would say that that might be wasted time. Um, in which case, maybe you need to figure out how moving forward you could spend less time on that. Um, you know, projects at work that you don't think are the direction you want your career to be going. Again, I'm not saying you can get out of it overnight. We all waste time. Uh, but maybe learning that over the next six to 12 months, you can start moving in a different direction. And on the home front too, it's anything that we don't really, you know, again, enjoy or find meaningful. And I'm not saying that we get out of things too. I mean, I don't find emptying the dishwasher enjoyable <laughs> or meaningful, but we're always looking for ways to minimize those things. Um, so they are not huge parts of our life. So for instance, I'm not going to study to away, you know, come up with the best possible way of emptying the dishwasher or loading the dishwasher. Like it just isn't worth that effort of time. Um, you know, so chores and errands that are, are done to a degree that they do not wish, need to be done um, are done, you know, in a way that uh, it could have been, um, you know, done in less time and, and you didn't particularly enjoy it. Those are, those are all things that Hey friends, sorry to disturb you from listening to this amazing conversation, but I just wanted to let you know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is now available for pre-orders. I'll make sure the link is in the show notes below. So if you do want to learn how to lead your life in the very best way possible and you love stories and you want to learn more about my story, the living roller coaster ride that it is, then go and pre-order a copy right now. The book will be uh, available everywhere books are sold September 27th. But, but if you can go and pre-order it now, I would be so, so grateful. All right, my friends, let's get back into the incredible story. I mean, I empty the dishwasher at home. It's part of one of my my chores and it takes me, what, like five minutes of my time. But the build-up to actually getting it done, that probably takes me a lot longer. <laughs> it is interesting. When we, when we don't enjoy something, it can often take up a lot more mental real estate uh, than, in fact, it occupies in terms of temporal space. Um, so that's always something to keep in mind and a reason to try tracking time because, yes, I mean, people will tell you they spend all their time emptying the dishwasher, and it's probably not true. Um, it is usually a five-minute process on any given day. Like, if you're doing it once a day, that would be 35 minutes a week. Many people are not doing it daily, um, so it's less. <laughs> but it can feel like it. It just feels like you're always emptying the dishwasher. How about for those people that love to procrastinate? Like, where does procrastination really happen and begin? Is it a choice? Um, so often what's happening is that we just don't know how to get started on something and anything that is amorphous, it's unclear what the next step is. Um, it doesn't have to be done immediately. Those are all things that are easy to procrastinate, especially if they are unpleasant. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of things you can do, um, to, to sort of switch your mindset. I, I, one is to come up you know, with a different reason for doing it. Sometimes you just don't have a good enough reason. Um, I experienced that with um, adding up all my receipts for my business expenses. Uh, at, at one point, you know, I hate hated this chore every single year. Um, and then I had a revelation at one point that I didn't have to do it. Like, I know how much I earned, like my, my gross, my top number, I could just pay taxes on that. Now that would be stupid, because I'd be missing out on all sorts of deductions, but I could do it. Yeah. And so by adding up all my deductions, I was in fact 
doing an optional activity that was earning me thousands of dollars an hour. <laughs> and so that was like, oh, well, that sounds fine. I'll, do, I'll spend my morning on that. Sure. Why not? Um, and so sometimes it's reframing. Um, sometimes it's figuring out just a small step. Like if you're trying to write something and you have no idea what to do, well, like, do you know what one little tiny bit of it? Maybe, you know, one sentence that, you know, you want to include, we'll write that. Like, how would you get into that? Let's, let's see what, what would you put right before that? Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe here's something you do like a couple pages later. Let's just write that part. And, you know, you get a little momentum going and, and you know, eventually you've got something put together there. Um, you know, you can, you can bribe yourself. <laughs> um, I once had to make a phone call. I really didn't want to make it. I was like anticipating it was going to take forever to get a certain person on the phone. And then, you know, so I was gonna have to call and go through like a million gatekeepers. And then for whatever reason, I happened to get somebody who was like, Oh, sure. He'll talk to you. And I like had it on my calendar, you know, within a minute of making this phone call. And I had promised myself I could take the rest of the day off. Like after I'd been through all these gatekeepers, I'm like, okay, it's nine Oh five. I'm out. <laughs> so that's, that's sometimes um, helpful. But I think the final thing you can do is recognize that sometimes when you're truly procrastinating something, it's because it isn't the right direction for you. It isn't where you want your career to be going. It isn't the right place for your personal life. Like it isn't something that it excites you. It isn't something you find meaningful and I'm not saying you get out of it, but you know not to take it on in the future if you have any choice about it. And so all that may be standing between you and a future that you never have to do this thing again is maybe getting through it now. Um, and then you can make different choices after that. What helps me with procrastination? Because I've never been good at it at all. Like, and that may be, that may sound strange for a lot of people, but it's the God honest truth. And you can ask anyone I know they'll tell you <laughs> that Jay just sucks at procrastinating. Like if he, if he wants to do something, he'll make a way, he'll, he'll get it done. He's persistent as heck. But the reason for that is when I was, I think eight years old, my grandfather and I were in the garage and he was trying to teach me how to build something with, with wood. And I wasn't given the gift of being able to use my hands to build anything with wood that was passed on to my, my two brothers. Um, but that didn't stop my grandy from trying at least <laughs> I wasn't a lost cause, but, um, I just remember saying to him, cause we used to go over there spend time. But then the other thing we used to do is sit on the couch, watch cartoon network, drink pub squash and, uh, eat a ton of junk food, which probably not is not the healthiest thing to do. But anyway, what all I wanted to do in that moment was I hated doing this, this task, even though I was spending time on my grandy. And I just said to him, Grandy, can, can I just do this another time? I just want to go inside, uh, drink pub squash and, and watch Cartoon Network. And he stopped everything that he was doing. He looked at me directly in the eyes and he said, don't put off for tomorrow what can be done today. And he's like, if you're going to continue to put things off for tomorrow, nothing's ever going to get done. You're just creating a habit of laziness and you'll just be in this constant, continual bad state. And every single time, I kid you not, Laura, Every time that I'm in that state, I have that story, my grandee's words, don't put off for tomorrow what can be done today. And it just gets me moving. <laughs> Even if I don't know exactly where I'm going to go, I still take a step forward. And if I fail, I fail, but at least I've given it a go. And at least I can say I haven't procrastinated it. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, so the one caveat I would say to this is um, sometimes it's helpful to create one chunk of time where you do a ton of tasks that are maybe not your top priority tasks. Like definitely if something is a, a top priority for you, even if it fills you with a little bit of anxiety, you should probably tackle it. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. But if we're talking about like, okay, I have to respond to three invitations and pay these bills and I have to, you know, send this email that's really not critical but needs to get sent and I need to book a ticket for something and all that. You could, you know, as with the dishwasher, it can feel like you are always doing these things if they are always options. So for those, I recommend you do put them off to tomorrow, even though you could do them today. Um, create one chunk of time in your schedule where you tackle all those little things, right? Like batch all those little things together during a time that's like just not your best time. <laughs> you know, maybe it's like Thursday afternoon from three to five, like you're, you're seldom 
doing anything important Thursday afternoon, three to five. So that's the time you're going to answer all those, you know, things that you owe a response to, but don't care about, pay those bills, you know, buy those tickets for whatever. And then it's batched. You don't do it the rest of the time. Um, so, so that would be the one exception to the, uh, don't put off till tomorrow what you could do today. It's like, don't, don't do it now if it's not worth your best time and you should put it in that little batching window. Yeah. As long as it does eventually get done, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that as procrastination because yeah, you've, like you said, you've only got a certain amount of hours in the day. If the big things are weighing on you, get those done first and the little things just, they, you know, if you do have it tomorrow, when you hope you do, <laughs> then, you know, focus on, on getting those little things done. And I think that is good prioritization. Um, so yeah, Laura, I, I do want to be respectful of your time as well. I've got a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. Okay. For, so for those people that, and this is always wondered, like, I've been curious about this. Why is it that in some instances, time seems to go extremely slow Meanwhile, at other times, things go extremely fast. You know that that old saying, a watch clock doesn't go any faster, that sort of thing. But when you don't look at it, it seems to go pretty fast. <laughs> is that at all true? Or am, am I just, yeah. Yeah, so time is funny because it does proceed at the exact same pace all the time. But how we perceive it is very different um, depending on what we are doing with it. We've all had times when we are just watching the clock, willing it to move. Um, sometimes I feel like there have been moments where it feels like the clock is moving backward. I had a really long night with a sick kid in the hospital once that it was just like, you know, he wasn't so sick that he was not able to whine about it, <laughs> but, um, you know, and squirm and, you know, protest everything. So it was just the whole experience was so miserable, but we had to be there in, in the hospital dealing with his, his care. Um, and, and so, yeah, it was like the clock was moving backwards. Um, it was just like watching every second. Whereas like you're getting together with an old friend for dinner, like it's over before you feel like you've even started. Like you just sat down and now that you like hours have passed and what, what's going on. Um, and, and so obviously what's going on is that when we're miserable, time moves slower than when we are happy. Um, and when we are really enjoying ourselves, it's, it's like, it's racing away. Um, so the question is, can you make time move slower when you are really enjoying yourself? Yeah. And can you have fewer moments in your life where you are wishing minutes away? And, and so that is really a, one of the, the key, you know, time management masters start to do is, is to not just look at, you know, what am I doing with my time, but how I feel about my time. Um, I'm, I'm really a proponent of trying to savor your good moments so that you can linger in them and make them feel longer. Um, some of this is knowing that they are coming up, right? So you know that a good thing is going to happen. You've got it on your calendar. You're looking forward to it. Very excited that old friend's coming to town. Um, you, you have that planted as far ahead as you can. Mm -hmm. So you can stretch out that anticipation and, and get some more pleasure out of it. Um, during the time itself, you want to be fully aware of it like note things, like pause and see, well, how, how am I feeling? Like take in the scene, you know, what am I smelling? What am I hearing? Like notice everything you can um, talk about it with the people you are with, like have these, you know, like we're having such a good time right now. Like it, it sounds so corny, but like actually acknowledging that you are both really enjoying yourself um, makes the time more noticeable. Um, it helps also to preserve some memories of the time. So definitely pose for those selfies with your friend who's visiting because you want to pull those out afterwards. Look at them. You know, after the friend is gone, like make sure you've got a time on the calendar to call that person um, a couple of days later and relive your experience of, of being together uh, in that. And so by doing those things, you can make the experience far bigger in your mental real estate than, than the actual hours that it took. And, and the flip side of that is when you notice yourself wishing time away, ask what is within your power to change about that. And so for me, one of the things that, um, you know, I dearly love all my children, but I can tell you that chasing a toddler around at an older child's sporting event 
is just a source of complete and total misery. Like the toddler is unhappy. I'm not actually getting to see the older kid do their thing. I have missed goals. I have missed everything else because I'm keeping the toddler from running into the road. Um, and so I realized, you know, maybe we could get a babysitter for the toddler. <laughs> like my husband and I can go watch the older children play and actually enjoy the event and hang out and, you know, be able to focus on them. And the toddler isn't miserable because he's had somebody who's fully focused on him, you know, and playing games with him as opposed to um, us being miserable and counting the minutes, trying to do two things at once. So, you know, that was something like if, if you, if there is a choice you can make, you know, can you spend a few dollars to make this happen? Can you put yourself on different projects? Can you, you know, make sure that a meeting is better organized. So you're not, you know, seeing it minutes disappear into unorganized, awfulness. I mean, just anything you can do is a good investment of your energy because wishing time away is such a miserable bargain. We only get so much time. So wishing any of it away is just, you know, like trying to get sands in the hourglass to move faster. The only time I wish time would speed up is when I'm traveling on Sydney roads yeah. <laughs> Traffic is its own form of misery. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but apart from that, I'm pretty, I'm okay. But in saying that in, in, in terms of, um, I'm curious about this, is mind wandering bad for productivity? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. I think our minds wander quite a bit. Um, what is helpful is if you are able to direct it more toward possibility and problem solving rather than recremation and blame. <laughs> um, uh, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to replay situations that have happened in the past. And that is generally not helpful because they will not happen again. Like you're, you know, it's, it's not, it's not helpful or anticipating the worst about what might happen in the future. Um, is another way that that mind wandering can can go awry. Um, but again, the more like good things you have coming up in your life that can help you focus on that. Like, oh, I'm really looking forward to this trip that's coming up next month. Oh, I see that I'm working with this colleague who I really enjoy working with on a project. We're staffed together for many hours next week. That's great. I'm looking forward to it. The more of those things you have, in your life that you can anticipate, the more you can have that autobiographical um, narrative focused on that uh, rather than things you probably, you know, all things considered would wish your mind did not keep replaying over and over again. What has been the worst piece of time related advice you've ever been given? So, you know, I, I think broadly, I really dislike the phrase that gets tossed around all the time of like, no one can have it all. Yeah. Uh, you know, what does that even mean? Um, and there's variations of it. Like I, there's, you know, I've seen from various people, uh, something they call the entrepreneur's dilemma. It's like, you know, work, health, sleep, family, friends, pick three. Right. Uh, you know, it's like, you can't have the others. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's such a limiting view of time. And I feel like it's really just not true. Um, you know, like there's enough time to sleep, um, to get together with friends. I mean, it's not going to be like 40 hours a week, most likely that you're getting together with friends, but like, that's not what most people are aiming for. Could you do two hours a week, like, uh, you know, 30 minutes with somebody on the phone and 90 minutes meeting somebody for coffee? Like probably you could do that mm. in the course of a week. Um, your physical health, like, is it possible to exercise for two and a half hours in the course of a 168 hour week. Well, you know, probably even if you are working fairly extreme hours. So it's just, I, I think that that sort of advice is, I mean, people want to keep it real, right? I saw like, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, make sure you understand, but I, I think that all of this sort of limiting talk and, you know, that time is scarce rather than that there is time for the things that matter to you. Is, is just not helpful and, and in many cases is not true. It says more about the person giving the advice um, than it is about objective truth. For those people that you've probably been asked this question a million times in, in all your interviews, this is my, my second last question. 
for you, Laura. And, and that is, I mean, in the very beginning, I asked you, how do you do it? You got five kids, you've got a husband, you've got a job, you've got all these things going on for you. So what does your normal day look like? Um, well, these days I, I wake up at 6.30 um, just because that's when I need to get the kids up and moving. Um, we have children in three different schools that start at three different times. Uh, so oh. there's sort of a, a array of morning you know, it's, it goes in shifts, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, uh, six thirty to eight is roughly when I'm, you know, focused on getting kids ready and out the door. Um, we have a full-time nanny, um, cause we've got two working parents. Uh, so she helps with the little guy during the day, um, and with, you know, driving the older children around as necessary. Um, I tend to mostly focus on work between, eight and between three to four is where things start to, you know, go um, <laughs> often, often to four um, because my older children are in activities or whatever. Um, uh, but three thirty four is when they start coming home. Um, often, I mean, I, I take like half an hour in there to, to go for a run or a walk. Um, but, but mostly doing much of my work between eight and four often dealing with kids stuff after that, you know, doing my part of shuttling people around to different places or hanging out with different people, um, tend to, you know, eat dinner some nights together, some nights not depending on who's got what going on, but we try to, um, you know, I, in the evenings, it's either kid focused or sometimes I've got work stuff, you know, I'm trading off with my husband in the evening sometimes, or, um, I sing in my choir on Thursday nights. We try to do some family activity on the weekend, like, you know, have at least one family adventure. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's what it, what it tends to look like. I love it. I think it's pretty cool. And then it all works. It all, it <laughs> all works. It. I mean, you know, there's enough time. Um, I, I probably work somewhere between 35 and 45, 30 and I would say 35 to 40 most weeks. It goes up to 45 when I'm really busy, but it's in there. Yeah. Um, I sleep, 7.4 hours a day on average. I know this from tracking my time for years. Um, so that comes out to about, you know, 52 hours a week, roughly. Um, so if you figure 52 hours for sleep, 35 to 40 for work, you know, what do we get? We're at 92 hours of stuff. There's 168 hours in a week. So there's still, you know, a lot of time. Plenty of time by the sound of it. Where can people find you, Laura, connect with you, buy your books, do all those sorts of things? Yeah, well, you can come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com. It's just my name. Uh, and there you can find out about my books, which you were you know, graciously mentioned earlier in the podcast. We don't need to recite those again. Um, I also have uh, two podcasts that people might want to check out. One is called Before Breakfast, which is a short every weekday morning tip. Uh, it, it runs about five, six minutes, the podcast. And it's just something that I hope will help you take your day from great to awesome. You can listen to it while you're making your coffee, putting on your makeup, you know, walking to the bus stop, whatever it is you do in the morning. Uh, and I also have one called Best of Both Worlds. My co-host, Sarah Hart Unger, and I um, put out an episode a week looking at the intersection of work and family from the perspective of people who love both. I love it. I'll make sure everyone knows where to find all those things. And I didn't ask you about uh, before breakfast, I think that might be have to be a part two at some stage. <laughs> but my final question for you, Laura, is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends okay. and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Well, I think it would show my books um, because I love writing and I love sharing my message uh, with people and, and telling stories and um, hopefully giving people inspiration to live better lives. Um, you know, I would, I would think it would be great if they would find some of the people who for instance, had listened to my podcast or read my books and had made some change in their life um, that had made them happier, um, that had made them more fulfilled. I would find that incredibly 
um, validating and exciting to know that my work had made a difference for that. Um, I certainly hope that, you know, my, my kids, and I hope by that point, their you know, grandchildren, great-grandchildren um, would be talking about how mama, grandma, great-grandma was always, um, you know, had so much energy for doing fun things with them and that they always felt loved and like they were amazing, special people because they are. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's what I hope the, the film would convey. The perfect send-off message for people. Laura, thank you so much for your time and all your wisdom and your advice that you're pouring out there and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.